Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Today we're discussing the movie Jaws, a movie that has absolutely no relevance today because it's about a silly little topic like business people wanting to keep businesses open in the face of a tragic disaster. Nothing to do with anything today, just a little bit of fun. And we have some great people involved, uh, and we're getting all that right after this commercial break that we have no control over. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. And I have to say, one of the most fun but sometimes draining parts of this job is coming up with topics all the time. And so one of my favorite things is when one of my regular guests, someone who's pretty much a co-host at this point, can come to me and say, hey, I have this great idea I want to talk about and some great guests we should bring on. And Ashley Coffin did that with the movie Jaws. So Ashley, it's so good to have you on. Um, What happened? How are we here talking about Jaws today? <laughs> It's actually happened over a very drunk evening in Philadelphia after <laughs> PAX convention. Um, my friend Katie, friend of the cast, uh, does the online D&D and met a great group of people who have amazing sound and their show is just I, I've listened to a couple episodes of your show, Mark, and it is a lot of fun, especially Thank for you. someone who doesn't know as much. It just seems like really, really such a good idea. And I wanted to do more with that but then we started talking about jaws yeah <laughs> and then you said that your friend steve absolutely loved the movie and wanted to talk about it and because of how cultural culturally impactful the film is not just for people but in the film industry and like what happened with making this movie just changed things so much and i just can't wait mm -hmm. to dive into it definitely well let me do some quick introductions for our guests so first uh just reference mark uh, Mark Garcusha, when not lending his voice to various commercial products or dubbing international reality shows, Mark Garcusha, uh, who also just had his name horribly mispronounced by myself, <laughs> writes, produces, and acts in his actual play, Dun Dungeons & Dragons show, The Cast Die Podcast. So, Mark, great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. And it, it wasn't that. It's uh, Garcusha, and, you know, you okay. were pretty close there. So, it, it's it's in the neighborhood. We have a track record for doing that, so it's on par, like par for... Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, I, I I am on record as talking about Stan Sebastian and his great acting. So, me and names is a thing. <laughs> Stan um, Sebastian, I, I knew who you and meant. For, for The Witcher, him and I both couldn't stop saying Geralt, and I don't know why. Yeah. I know his name is Geralt, but it happens sometimes. Uh, also joining us is Steve French. Steve French is a voice actor, currently heard as the promo voice of The Book of Boba Fett, uh, something I will uh, uh, shamelessly take advantage of for my Star Wars <laughs> Universe podcast, uh, on the national commercials for Toyota, and is the host of the Unsolved Mysteries podcast. And Steve and Mark, I understand you've had a long relationship talking to each other about these things, but you do not currently share a podcast. No. No, not yet. <laughs> every every conversation is, is a possibility for a podcast, so we're, we're hoping for the right one. We we don't know what it'll be. This was probably you know we're going to do this at anyway you know at some point anyway. So so thank you nice, for having nice. us and uh, thank you so us much. Talk yeah, about this. Yeah, so fun to be well, here. Yeah, I'm so glad to have you all. Um, so why Jaws? Like, what? To talk more about what it is about this movie in particular that is is so exciting to you all, especially as people who are in the industry to kind of get get into uh, wanting to talk about more. Um, I mean, it, it's it's like it's hard for me to put into words. Like, I I love this movie. <laughs> So, but I'm gonna try. This is not gonna be good. If we can, if we're starting out that we don't know how to put into words what we think about this movie, then we're really off the I've, I've prepared it's an right interpretive before dance. The dam breaks. Don't worry, the levee is just yeah. gonna bust. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but I mean, like it, it's you know, I watched it as a kid, um, way too young. I remember my 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 uncle had it on like 
um, Betamax and VHS, and it was like it was like on HBO or something. So like it was on one TV, and my cousin and I were like, "This is too scary. We're going in the other room." My uncle put it on VHS in that room. They were like, "Okay, forget it." <laughs> and then he put it on. So it was playing on every TV in the house, and like we couldn't escape it. Um, and it definitely messed me up uh, uh, as far as being scared <laughs> going in the water. But like beyond that, even like watching it for the thousandth time last night uh, in preparation for this, <laughs> uh, like it, it's just there's this like timelessness and like. I feel like I'm there when I'm watching it. It's, it's at once like calming, which is maybe weird for a movie about gruesome shark attacks. I, I feel I feel the same way. I feel yeah. Exactly it's like soothing and like it it um it is it is timeless. Like Spielberg does such an amazing job with with making it such a like visceral experience that like it mm-hmm. never loses relevance, especially you know today when we're we're talking right. about. You know, keeping beaches open when uh when there's a <laughs> quote unquote shark in the water. Um, but yeah, that was my rambling answer to that first question. Here you go. This this movie is a miracle. There, that's the only way I can put it. It's a it's a miracle in so many ways. There's no reason this movie ever should have been as successful as it was. It's it's a miracle that it got made in the first place. It's a miracle that they that they translated this sort of rambling book with a very interesting dramatic kernel of an idea into this absolutely iconic unforgettable instantaneous blockbuster hit but it i mean i remember too seeing it too young with my family and like quint quint spoiler alert there's a guy named quint who gets <laughs> gets bitten by a shark it never you never ever 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 forget it what that yeah, felt no. like to watch that first time quick quick story i saw this movie in 2014 again i was doing a show out on the cape Uh-oh. actually at at our beloved monomoy theater mark and they yes. had reopened a movie theater downtown on Main Street, the small, intimate little movie theater, and they were playing Jaws. So I was like, I have to, uh, of course, I'm going to go see this. And I went with a pal of mine and her 10-year-old yes. son. <laughs> oh, no. Wow. And the whole, I just sat like this, the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> watching, watching him. I, of course, knew every line of the movie, but I wanted to watch him. And I will never forget the sound he made when, Quint, when, when the, those Jaws came down and the sound was mm-hmm. this. <laughs> it was like this unexplainable i have never seen that before i don't know how to process what it, it just it, this movie never leaves you ever okay. ever ever yeah yeah it's so true so some of our audience may not have seen this movie uh something you should definitely rectify if you can um uh and you know if you want to hit pause now go watch it i would definitely recommend that there will be some spoilers in this movie um it's about a shark it eats people um sorry um <laughs> But let me give a quick plot summary. There's no way I'm going to convey it all, but <clears throat> let me know if I miss anything huge. So we open with a bunch of teenagers at a campfire. Two of them are being a bit flirty. One of them, uh, get uh, a, a young woman, kind of wants to tease a guy. And uh, one of them, a young woman, is flirting with a guy a bit. And so she runs off. She starts stripping naked and jumps into the water. Uh, because we know that the rules of disaster movies are that teenage female promiscuity equals death yeah it does. um she gets to be our first uh shark victim and it's done in this way of like you just see her above the water like like being tugged back and forth you never see the shark so cut to we we, we in, are introduced to our main character who is the sheriff of the town he finds out about the shark attack he wants to close the beaches 
And the main tension of the movie is kind of introduced, at least for the first half, which is that this is a beachfront community. It's a, you know, where the summer community drives the entire economy. If people know about shark attacks, if people get scared about shark attacks, the whole town's going to close down. And you can't have that happen. So they open the beaches uh, against his protests. There's another shark attack. A young boy is killed, um, which I, I was kind of like, whoa, you, modern day movie. You don't do that. Yeah. Like, you don't see anything, but it's clear it's a young boy who, who gets killed. Um, now the town shuts down, but now there's a huge fervor. We're going to go kill the shark. We're going to kill the shark. All these people go crazy about it. Some people make very stupid decisions <laughs> uh, trying to kill the shark. But eventually, a shark is killed. The whole town celebrates. Meanwhile, a very, very, very young-looking Richard Dreyfus has shown up in town <laughs> as a uh, marine biologist. Uh, he convinces the sheriff that, no, this wasn't the right shark. And uh, so they have to go back out again. They try to talk the mayor into closing the beaches. He wants nothing to do with it again because business has got to stay open. That's what's more important. Um, there is yet another shark attack. Um and that's what finally convinces the mayor that uh, we have to go out on the boat. And there's one very de- uh, hard moment to watch, but very powerful, <clears throat> where the mother of the young boy who uh, was killed uh, confronts the sheriff and slaps him across the face and says, you know, you hid this information and my boy is dead now because of you. Which was not um, fair. Again, <laughs> not fair not to him, fault. but very... But very fair to, like, the powers that be. And again, no relevance whatsoever to anything in our own world today. Right. So then we get into the second half of the movie, which is the two of them, the the sheriff and the marine biologist, along with Quint, the aforementioned, um, who is a shark hunter, boat captain, with one of the best New England accents you've ever heard in your life, as Robert Shaw tries to cover up his English accent uh, <laughs> to do a Boston accent. It's wonderful. They go out to try and hunt the shark. It's very clear that they're outmatched. Uh, They do various things to try and defeat the shark. And you get a lot of great tension as it's going on. You start to see the shark for the first time, but still mostly underwater. Um, Quint, we realize, is really wrapped up in, like, his personal crusade against sharks, in part because of a horrible experience he had when he was in the Navy in World War II that we'll definitely talk about where he saw a lot of his friends get eaten by sharks. But as part of that, Quint both doesn't want to use, like, he wants to just take on the shark himself to the point of destroying the radio that would let them call in the Coast Guard for help, uh, being so reckless that he destroys the engine. And and so his death winds up being very, like, earned in that kind of way. Um, but eventually, the, the shark winds up with a uh, canister of compressed air in its mouth because of reasons, and our sheriff hero is able to shoot it, explode it, and the shark dies goodness and justice prevail in the town uh, in New England. Um, in a way that uh, the more animal rights side of this podcast would have some real questions with, but we'll get into that as well. Uh, but yeah, so did I did I cover the basics of the movie, at least enough for us to talk about? I think so, yeah. Yeah. It's not a difficult plot, you know? It's yeah. small beach style, ta- beach style town under attack by a predator. All of the people who live in the town are, could be potential victims and a cover-up. Right. Like, it's, it's, it's very... What they wanted to do was like a crazy action adventure story, but that's not what we got for reasons we'll get into later. Like yeah. they wanted um, more of, you know, like a king, like King Kong, not King Kong, but Godzilla. Like they wanted this to be like a monster movie. And because right. of the shark, that is not what we got. And that is why we have such a great movie now. It's kind of crazy. 
Yeah, definitely so. Definitely so. We'll get into that. I think, uh, actually, you, you put a comment in the notes, the one that I was having the same thought of, is that, you know, the first Alien movie is often thought of as being so good in part because you almost never see the aliens, so often done in shadow, and that was in part for budgetary reasons. But And the same kind of thing here, it sounds like, for all these bad reasons, we didn't get as much of the shark as we wanted, and that's probably a lot better. Yeah. Um, but so what was the reception of this movie? Why it, It's a very big deal in terms of movie-making history. What what happened with this movie? Where to start? <laughs> Just in terms of, like, the reception. What happened when this movie went to theaters? Well, people love it. it it's kind of like... Kind of like how you would say with The Exorcist, like people were lining up around the block to see it over and over again. Like kids, I remember like kids might, like my mom would drop us off at the movie theaters and we would just stay. I would stay, yeah. maybe watch it once or twice, just doing whatever. Like we, I watched this movie over and over and it didn't matter how scared I was every time, like even going to the beach, because I went to the Jersey Shore all the time. And that's where this story came from, was an attack mm -hmm. off of the Jersey Shore. And yeah, I just, I like fear and horror movies. And it was just like every time it was just creating this new, like, danger. Being that age, you're like, ooh, I'm going to watch Jaws again today. And now I'm going to go to the beach and see if I can go in and, and deal with that. It's not healthy, but that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, it's funny <clears throat> that you mentioned uh, The Exorcist. Because, like, those, uh, Jaws and The Exorcist are two movies that the audience response to like the horrific uh, things that were happening on screen was so intense and like so unheard of at that point that like um, I know there was a there was like one incident of a, a young woman who saw Jaws and like had like a psychotic episode where like she would for weeks afterwards like wake up like screaming about sharks or like just like while awake start freaking out about sharks and they did um, studies. Uh, about these two movies specifically and like how they elicited such a huge response uh, in people. So like, I think, you know, in addition to like the um, groundbreaking nature of the fact that it was like such a huge blockbuster and, and all these other things, but like on a, on a different level, this like kind of like really insanely intense um, reaction that people had to it. Mm hmm. Yeah, like I know, um, <clears throat> in terms of the 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 effect of the movie long term, like I, I don't think we have Shark Week on the Discovery Channel if it's not for Jaws. No, you know, I don't think we have anything near, and and that is both good and bad. You know, in that like the uh, further interest to it. I know people like I did a lot of research. Like, people who study sharks talked about how this led to a lot more funding and things like that. It also led to a huge increase in shark hunting, mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. and shark killing and. There's a lot of things that have gone into that. Um, Jaws is by no means the only thing. Um, but right, the number of sharks in the world today is about 30% of what it was when the movie came out. Uh, and the movie is definitely credited as, as leading to a lot of the, the hunting. Uh, the, the food industry part of it, there's a whole lot more to it. It's not just the movie's fault right. by any means, but it's uh, you know, a very important situation there. But yeah, but also um, in terms of the movie itself, this was the the first summer blockbuster, am I right? Like this was yes. the first. Yeah. Like, talk about that. What was the the re reaction in theaters like? Blockbusters always used to come out around uh, the, the holidays. Yeah. So choosing to do it in the middle of the summer was pretty brilliant. Right. Because summers usually, which is the opposite. I mean, blockbusters now, but summer was considered a dead time for movies. You didn't. You, you weren't trying to like make a big hit. It was just if we had movies to churn out, oh, we'll, we'll get them out and we'll <clears> put them in the summer. You can go see something kind of fluffy or whatever. And this like totally changed the game it was just an instantaneous <laughs> hit for I, I can't even remember how long it was in the theaters but it just kept going a year and going, and going. yeah a whole year wow 
And it was the first movie to create like merch. The like the t-shirts and the the shark teeth on stuff. Like it was the very first thing to have such a massive merchandise push. Like, and everybody thought huh. that the movie was going to do terrible. Like, uh, Richard Dreyfus went on a uh, talk show and flat out said it was a bad film. He feels bad for everybody involved. That um, he didn't blame Steven, but he blamed Universal Pictures. Right. And then it came out the next week, and <laughs> he probably felt like a, an idiot. Well, and you have to imagine, too, that having such a rough shoot... They probably yeah. all just so like mentally and emotionally exhausted after dealing with it. How could you even be yeah. remotely excited about this thing? Right. And they probably, you know, if it had been a flop, they would have just said, "Ah, oh, good riddance, and we'll forget about this, and we'll never talk about yeah. it again." And so then here they all are. You know, if you watch some of these documentaries, it's like thirty years later, they're they're kind of laughingly talking about this movie that was just a nightmare to create. Traumatized. It went a hundred days over schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like a hundred million. Oh, wait, maybe not hundred, but like. <laughs> what four times the budget? I think that it. Yeah. I, th I think the budget was nine million, and then the movie made four hundred and seventy-two million. Yeah. Well, wow. yeah, the return. And then yeah. they were like, ugh. And in terms of launching careers, um, <clears throat> we referenced Steven earlier. The, the director of this is Steven Spielberg, and this is his first. I, I think he'd made one movie earlier, but like mm -hmm. this is the one that he's credited for often. Yeah. Uh, certainly, it's the one I think it's thought of as launching his career. He did another action movie called Duel. Duel. And that's what he was worried about was being like typecasted as just like an action, like the Michael Bay yeah. of that right. time. Yeah. Before right. that was Sugarland Ex or after Duel yeah. was Sugarland Express, um, which I've never seen, but it was like a Goldie Hawn uh, mm. <laughs> led picture um, that got really good reviews and everything. But um, obviously, we're not here to do a, a Sugarland Express podcast. Right. <laughs> um, that's next week. That's next I, week. Okay. I, I solely put away my life commemorative Sugarland Express <laughs> issue that I had a prepared. Shelf of Sugarland Express action figures. Behind yes. me. I like. Yeah, the thing about the summer blockbuster to me is so fascinating because now I think of that as such a big part, and you know, it's one of those things where, <clears throat> as I understand it, a lot of times you get this perfect confluence of, you know, the right movie or the right piece of art or whatever it is at the right time, along with other conditions. Like, I, I do wonder if the mid-'70s, this movie came out in 75, is also when a lot of movie theaters started adding air conditioning. Yes. Because I, yes. Oh. It, until that happens, if Summer Blockbuster is just not a pop, because you're not going to go into an unair-conditioned theater no. when it's 95 degrees out. That's no. actually something um, you see in all those photos of, of the marquees when this movie was out was, you know, now air-conditioned, now refrigerated <laughs> oh, air. That's wonderful. So I didn't it, know it, that. It truly is a, that that confluence of those things happening is is actually yeah. what, what made that possible. Yeah, that's and kind of the brilliance of it. Absolutely, absolutely, and and kind of like that idea of like things that we've been coming back to here a couple times of things like happening perfectly to make this like phenomena phenomenon happen. Like you know the fact that uh, just well, I mean the production, but like uh, actually when you said um, about the return, like this this was the most profitable movie ever made um and then you but you also said about the the merchandising and all that stuff uh it was the most profitable movie made until star wars came out a couple of years later right. and you know spielberg and lucas are are buddies that begs the question like i wonder if jaws's like merchandise push influenced the same th oh. the same thing happening with star wars i would I yeah I mean, George Lucas, like, he made most of his money because he insisted in the contract that yeah. he get the exclusive merchandising rights. And mm -hmm. yeah, I imagine he seeing this is probably a big part of what led yeah. him to think that that's a good idea. 
George Lucas almost broke the damn shark in this. Yeah, that's right. right. Bruce, right. Yeah, yeah, he he was hanging out one night and he got in its mouth. Well, it's actually Steven Spielberg's fault. He pulled the lever to close it and the mouth <laughs> broke and then they all just ran out of the studio like bad little kids. I mean, they were little kids. Yeah. yeah, they were like 26. Yeah, Spielberg was 26. It's funny that it's like this boys club, these like rebel filmmakers. And, and we think of them now, they're like the Hollywood elite, right? And, you know, some people mm-hmm. be like, oh, they're, they're responsible for all the Hollywood crap that we put up with now. I mean, these, these guys were kids at some point and were yeah. making it up as they went along and helping each other out and getting ideas. And I think that's one thing I love about this is sort of the teamwork that, that it, it took to get this stuff together mm-hmm. and they're always feeding off of each other and giving each other ideas. So it's sort of like this, oh, sure. this cool support system amongst them all. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the animatronics behind Jaws, <clears throat> like, you don't get Jabba the Hutt without probably all the problems that happen with Jaws, you know? So, yeah, so we, we keep, right. like, referencing it. Let's dive into it. So what what were the problems with making this movie? What what made it such a, like, hellscape of a, a creation? It's funny because one of the producers um, from Universal said if they had read the book twice, they never would have done it. Just seeing, because they didn't really think about it. And it's funny you said Sugarland Express because I completely forgot the producers of... right. Sugarland Express were the ones who Spielberg was meeting with, and he saw the book Jaws on the table and was like, "What's that?" Yeah, and that's kind of how that got started. And it is funny how everybody stays gives these young people a chance. They're like, "No, we know that he can do this," mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be a completely different movie. Yeah, um, I mean, having to film on the ocean alone, let alone put an animatronic shark in the water, is like everything went wrong with Bruce. He right. named. Bruce after his lawyer, Spielberg. <laughs> Bruce being the, the, the shark. Yeah, yes, and so they did it all on land and in fresh water, and everything was fine. It was when they got to put the shark in the salt water, everything went to shit. Yeah, sank immediately to the bottom of the Nantucket Sound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but fascinating that they that they found a place, you know, that, that whole area, they could be like 12 miles out at sea, but then still yeah. it was only 30 feet below, so you could actually construct something that could sit on the ocean floor and they could still utilize it. Um, yeah. And then to take over this town. Martha's I mean, Vineyard. You know, it's, <laughs> it, it's funny. I grew up in Maine. So I have a, in a small town in Maine. And so I have this sort of, I, I, these people are close to my heart because we, we are a summer community up there and you do depend on those summer dollars that we need. We need those summer dollars. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, can I just pause for a second? Is it weird? I mean, the, something about this movie is like we have to be able to go in the water, right? It's so, we'll, we'll talk about this at length, I'm sure, but it's so so relevant to what's going on, right? And, and I think to myself, I'm not a beach person, so I'm like, I don't care if I can't go in the ocean, but that's the whole idea, right? Our identity is wrapped up in this one activity, and people, yeah. you can't you can't just stay out of the freaking water for yeah. a couple of days, a couple of weeks until we figure this out. But yeah. that you know, but I, I so I'm intimately acquainted with you know needing those summer dollars and uh, what what a what a small town would have to go through. Um, I, and, I think it. Okay. Oh, no, no, please, Matthew, please. I was. Yeah, I think it's one of the themes in the movie is, and this is kind of a this is by no means unique. This is talked about in literature and movies for for millennia. But the idea of like you know humanity's feeling of like we can conquer any part of nature. You know there is no part of this world that we cannot go into. We can go into the water. We can go to the moon, or we can go to the uh, our North Pole, and like that's great part of uh, you know science and exploration. But sometimes it, it leads to this incredible stubbornness of just like no, you know we don't have to worry about the the hurricanes. We don't have to worry about the the sharks or whatever it is. And I feel like this movie captures that well. It's there's such a like because you're right. Like on some level. 
you know, the people can't go in the water. They're going to have to go to the restaurants. They're going to have to go to the store. I mean, right. the reality is that they just don't go, and, and that's where you lose the money. Yeah. But you think there's got to be a way to, to, to profit off of this. But, yeah, it's just that idea of, like, if we can't go in the water, then then we're not going to go. We're not going to spend money. Right. And, and just nothing is possible. Well, yeah. and it's also people just being told not that they can't do something. Yeah. I remember in the scene when they're having the town hall when – they're like, we're closing the beaches. And then the mayor's like, only for 24 hours. There's a woman in the back like, 24 hours is like three weeks. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're the problem, lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is after a young boy has been killed. Like, like I get, and, and first there is some of that. Like, it's clear, the movie clearly has this idea, you know, but also it's clear the people in the town are like, you know, she was a promiscuous town girl. Like, yeah, she kind of got what, they think like she ran into a propeller or something like right. that. It's clear that. But when it's the young boy who dies, you kind of expect now the whole town to be like, no, this can't happen. But nope, just again, we got to keep the businesses open. We got to get the dollars coming in. Um, the yeah. numbers are going down. The, the numbers are going down, people. OK, <laughs> yeah. so let's just get let's get things back. To people are going to get yes. eaten by sharks. It happens. Everyone's going like, to get eaten by a shark. Just yell Barracuda. Does it have to be a shark? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, that part I also loved, you know, because uh, so much. Yeah, it's, it, and it. It's funny because I remember when we were first getting into the time of recognizing that maybe the government wasn't giving us the most accurate information about COVID and that maybe we were um, being pushed to go back into a bit like, again, I don't want to know where, uh, assume where anyone else falls in this, but like from my perspective, at least when the government was not taking seriously enough the, the restrictions that we should probably be putting in place. I remember there were a lot of memes that came out about this. Yeah. And again, as I said, I was watching it with my partner. She hadn't seen it for the first time. And one point she looks at me and goes, this is about COVID, isn't it? Like, how was this movie made 40, 50 years ago? Uh, and we were laughing about it because like, I remember when the, I hadn't seen this movie again since I was 10. Wow. And so I remember when the, the memes came out, I was like, oh, okay, I don't really remember that in Jaws. But I guess maybe it's a little bit of a subtle thing. Rewatching it now, I'm like, <laughs> uh, you. it feels like it was written today, you know, in terms of it, it's such a perfect, but, but I think it's part of the point of it is like this feeling of, Business must go on, and we will try to deny the tragedy that's happening. That's not new. Like that's and been a part the of us for book. The book ever. gets into that a lot more. Like most of the the actual plot of this book is not in the movie. That is half that of is the main true. character, like major characters who are also on the mayor's side, like trying to cover this up. A lot of their stuff is cut, and mm -hmm. it started just to become like you know as the movie was changing and as they had to like evolve with that, they had to create a new way to film it. But they ha they were doing script rights the night before. Like all of the cast was involved. Most like Roy and um, Richard a lot were involved with writing the scripts the night before. And then all of it's kind of like a lot of ad lib stuff like, you know, doll's eyes, dead eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just really it was a really interesting and new way to take on it. I know the writer halfway through of the book was like, well, I don't see myself like any of my story in this anymore. So I'm just going to back off and let you guys do it. What you want, which never usually works. The books yeah. are always better than the movie, right. but this, right. this, like, it's, they're different, but they're equal. I said to Mark right. last night, I, I, I read through the book, uh, I listened, did an audio book of, of this over the weekend because I'd never read the book. And I said to Mark, wow. um, I, it makes me love the movie a thousand times more for yeah. exa mm -hmm. that exact reason, Ashley. It's like, how did that happen? That never happens, right? You, you always say, oh, there's this thing that they do in the book that's so cool. If there's any way they could have done it, they do everything better. They streamline that book and they do everything better in the movie. Mm -hmm. um yeah it's yeah rare that's it yeah and and i think it happens with spielberg um it, like with jurassic park not to the same extent 
you know, like I love, you know, Jurassic Park, the book. Um, but I think the movie is, you know, a little better. Um, yeah, I agree. But yeah, with Jaws, like he, they really um, they cut so much uh, superfluous, right. I think, stuff like the the. I mean, like in the, in the book, it's all about like the mafia is like pushing to keep the beaches open because they like have a, yeah. a hand in all the businesses and stuff. <laughs> It's a little intense. Yeah, there's a there's a, an affair yeah. between Hooper and Brody and all this stuff. Or uh, Hooper and Mrs. Brody. <laughs> okay. Mean, That's um, a different movie. It's a different yeah. movie. <laughs> Listen, uh, either option Ho- is Hooper very being, spicy. Hooper's the scientist. Yeah, yeah. Brody yeah. is the sheriff and Hooper's the scientist right. played by Richard. Uh, well, so, is, 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 I, just, I don't want to nitpick here. It's Chief Brody. Is Chief the same as Sheriff? Is it the same thing? Oh. It's Chief Brody, you're yeah. right. Okay, and yeah. I don't think so. I, maybe that town's too small to have a sheriff. I don't, I don't yeah, know the yeah. difference, so somebody can somebody can. He's uh, the uh, chief of police. It's so often yes. the sheriff in that role, and yeah. part of it's also, um, it's a very different time, obviously. But the setting of this is very similar to uh, the the TV show that came out on Netflix, Midnight Mass, which is a real favorite. Like oh. Midnight Mass is about this ta- a, a town like this uh-huh. that's been dying for forty years. Yeah, <clears throat> and in that the the police person is a sheriff, and so I think that's part of why I'm confusing the two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I see that. But um, yeah, it's Chief Brody. Thank you, Chief Brody. Chief Brody. But yeah, uh, I, I, I have to say, I think if they if they put the mob thing in, that would take so much away because now we have this sort of now. I don't have to wonder if I was a business owner if I would make the same choices because it's no, it's the mob, it's right. fear, it's bad. Yeah, making it about people who have no like evil motivations, they just want to keep their businesses open. Like right. to me, that makes it so much more insidious, you know. And the book yeah, is very, very much like New York centric, so it's sort of you can tell in in the book it's like takes place off the coast of Long Island. All all the people are mm-hmm. coming from New York, so there really is this. this big like big city influence whereas in Mm -hmm. the movie amity is sort of an uh uh, literally an island unto itself you know it's it's its own thing Mm -hmm. in the book there's there's this sort of tension about the town is dying you know we need we need this summer or we're done you know the businesses are shuttering there really is this doom that that has nothing to do with the shark um and whereas it's different. So in the movie, it's sort of like, oh, here's this sort of, uh, you know, pleasant little seaside town and everyone seems happy mm-hmm. and it seems relatively prosperous and nothing's, you know. Um, so they, they really, again, they streamline it to sort of the, the central drama yeah. of, of man's hubris against the animal yeah. kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Spe- speaking of man's hubris and uh, and production issues on the on this movie, uh, they they originally wanted to train great white sharks. Like, oh God. <laughs> I, and that, that to me is like, it's like the, the ultimate like producer coming in and, and just saying something so asinine. Like, guys, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to get some great weight sharks. We're going to train them to do this, to do the, to do the picture. Like who thinks that you can like. Uh, <laughs> they tried to, they go, what, what that disaster that happened that's in the film. They filmed that stuff off of Australian coast yeah. and they got a, you know, a smaller person to go into the cage to look like it was supposed to be Hooper in the cage. And immediately a great white shark went over the top of the cage and started spinning around and everybody's freaking out. The guy had gotten out, but that actually happened yes. and it's in the cut of the film. And you're like, why is the shark so much smaller? Yeah, sure. But cause they had to get the guy. Thank God the guy got right. out. Yeah. But like for that to immediately happen, it's like, all right, so we can't train the sharks. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the darling. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that is very funny. And like, it, it's such a huge thing and it goes back to this, you know, like crazy things going wrong, leading to this amazing movie. Like spoiler alert in the book, Hooper dies. Hooper was supposed to yes. die in the movie, 
But because when they were shooting that uh, that like second unit thing in in Australia, and they had uh, the the little person, that, so they got like the smaller cage, and a little person in the cage to you know play Richard Dreyfus, mm-hmm. and um, they had like fourteen foot sharks instead of like a twenty five foot shark. You know, trying to do all this stuff. But like when they had um, the actor in the cage, the sharks were just, just kind of like swimming around and weren't going for it. And then they 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 brought him out because. This guy had no diving experience. He had no idea what was going on. Oh no! He was like, yeah, he was like, he he was a stunt man. He was like a four foot two stunt yeah. man. They're like you, yeah, but he, get in the cage. He like rode horses. That was like he like was the stunt double, double for, for kids, kids yeah, riding yeah, yeah, horses. Yeah. So he had no diving experience, and like they pull him out of the cage, and then like the shark just destroys the cage. And like if the shark had decided <laughs> to do that ten minutes earlier, we probably wouldn't have this movie. You, no, you know it's funny. Um, Last year, towards the end of last year, there was the 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 Hollywood strike that was possibly going to happen, and workplace safety was a big right. thing we were talking about. And then there was the the shooting on the movie that happened, yeah. the non-union stuff, and that's still an issue that that hasn't gotten fully resolved, that that needs a lot more investigation. And I'm just, you know, I remember during that discussion, people talking about like, yeah, and like we don't even want to talk about the bad old days when like, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm just imagining a union rep of that time, <laughs> like you you want our actors to do what with sharks? Yeah. Like, no, no. Yeah. Well, the da- the orca sank when everybody was on it, yeah. actors and everything. And Stephen's like, can we get the actors out of the boat? And the sound guy's like, can you get the 70 year old sound guy out of the boat with the thirty thousand dollar equipment yeah and it's just thinking they're like we should get that guy first even yeah that that was like they had a lot of problems the boat they were (laughs) shooting on the orca's the boat in the movie but it's also the the, actually it actually sank yeah they had two uh and one of them was not supposed to sink and it sank (laughs) i i think part of why i love these stories is it's so incredibly meta yeah. The, the movie is about the foolishness of thinking that for commercial reasons you can like ignore the dangers of nature. In order to make a successful <laughs> commercial movie, they ignore the dangers of nature again and again, and it kept biting them in the ass. Well, Steven Spielberg says to this day he won't go into the ocean because he knows that the the sharks are just waiting for him oh. because of him making this movie. Yeah, uh-huh. he does not. Yeah, he didn't. He wasn't there the last day of filming because he thought that the crew was going to throw yeah. him in. Uh-huh. And now he doesn't ever shoot the last scene of his movies. Oh, really? It's working. That's mm-hmm. funny. Yeah, he's yeah. doing okay. okay. He's doing all right. He's fine. Yeah. I believe he's well, had a couple hits since Jaws. I have to, I'd have to look it up. He's lucky though because he thought he was going to get fired yeah. every day. Mm-hmm. Taking the menace one step forward um, or one step further. Do you know was there reaction from like beachfront communities to this movie? Like, because I, I do know that like. Like beachfront tourism went down for a while after this movie because people were so scared, and I, I, I'm again in that meta way. I'm imagining business owners being really upset about like this. Mad. Like mad, may, mm-hmm. mayors of uh, Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard. Do you know anything about that? How that how that played out? I don't, but it has to be true. I mean, it, you know, what was the tagline? You, you'll never go. Or, well, I guess the, the just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, right? Is, that, the, is yeah. that for the yeah. sequel? Is that that's for, the, that's uh, for Jaws too. Jaws yeah. too. Mm-hmm. But the too. same thing, right? It, it, we were talking about before. It, it took over our consciousness. As the, I mean, every time, even just reading the book, I read that 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 first page of that book. It's like, no, I'll never. There's no reason for me to ever go in the ocean again. I'll never. The great mm-hmm. fish moves silently through the to. night water. That is like. The book's not yeah. great, but that opening line is Ugh. so good. Oh, mama it's mia! It's so good. Yeah, but it, it's it, and I, I, I mean, I, we have, we spent time, Mark, you and I, swimming, yes. swimming the 
the rip current waters uh, of Chatham, Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, uh, Great and, White Central. And they, and, and they do have a, in, in in you know years recently they've had a lot of Great White issues and. Um, but I think there's much more of a respect now. You know, there's, they, it's like, yeah. let, let the sharks do the thing. We're not, we're not bothering you. Just yeah. do your mm-hmm. thing. I think that but, was the, maybe the dumbest thing I ever did, Steve, was with you that time when we swam through the rip current, through the boat lane, to, uh, <laughs> oh, no. to, a, to a, um, a sandbar with a bunch of seals on it. In... Preposterously dumb idea. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Talking about the hubris what? and stupidity of man. Uh, the men in this right. in this instance being <laughs> Stephen and myself. <laughs> well, we're, we're... Had you seen the movie before you oh, guys yeah. did that? This oh, was yes. this was twenty years ago. Oh, yeah. But yeah, we'd been watching Jaws for a were long ter- time, and it was a terrifying swim over there. Or were you just like too gleeful? We... And then you got over there, and you're like, yeah. uh oh. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, it sounds like between the current and the boats, like the sharks were not the concern. In this Listen, situation. Cape, Cape Cod is not a very safe area to be boating, or so. I mean, <laughs> the, the tides there are crazy. The sand dunes shift. I mean, we've gone on boat tours out there where you'll see a very large pleasure cruiser just marooned on the yeah. sand, and it can't move until the tide switches around and comes back in. Look, I spent four hours in traffic trying to get out to Chatham uh, one summer when when my family got a house out there. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's it, there's a lot of dangers out there. Yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But I'm glad we talked about that also because because I think that is, and this is something that's brought up a lot when you read like you know scientific understandings of the movie and stuff like that. If there's one thing the movie does get, it's a fantastic movie, but phenomenally wrong. This idea of like shark attacks are almost always provoked. You know, it's always mm-hmm. you know when humans are going into shark territories are scaring them. Uh, or there's like blood in the water of some kind, um, uh, or you know when it's um, like the, the, there was an attack in New Jersey that that I think was the inspiration for the book and the movie in 1960. Oh, it in was 1916. way more than just an attack. It was like yeah, I think four, it was like 12 people four, died. Four, in three weeks four or attacks. It was five people were killed in 12 days. Yes. Right. But that happened in 1916, and we're still talking right. about it. It's a horrible thing, but that's not normal shark behavior by any means. No. It's kind of point there. A side note, did you guys see that surfer who got double, like, attacked by two great whites at once? He got out of there, but he was just about to to do his, you know, thing. And one shark came this way, and one shark came that way, and they were great. And they knocked his surfboard, and he flies out of the air, and he actually didn't get bit. And that's when it was like, they they tra- they attack in pairs now? Like, it's already bad up. enough. But, yeah, that was that was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Right. You definitely have to wow. watch that. I'm going to have to look that up. And then never go in the ocean. Again. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the it's one of the things that the I think is something that happens in these movies a lot is how much we want to personify. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's the mm-hmm. monsters or the the shark. You know, they definitely act as though the shark has a personality. It knows who these people are. It knows they're hunting him. It wants revenge, um, which makes the movie fun, but has no scientific basis. No, well that that's Miss uh, Vera Fields, the the person who did the editing oh, yeah. on this. Mm-hmm. Like, she got one hell of a job put in front of her. And, like, not only did she, she's the one who created the suspense. Like, they study what she did in this movie in film schools, mm. and they will probably forever because it was the way that she cut it. Because of, um, you know, giving that shark, the shark is the star, and she gave him the personality. Mm. He's intelligent. He's careful. He mocks our main characters. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's just a presence about him, and that was all her. Yeah, yeah. You get it, it, it's funny to me how long they spend on the boat. They're they're out there for a good almost twenty four hours, and it's in part because Jaws is playing with them. Mm-hmm. Like it's definitely mm-hmm. a like you know, you get the sense that this shark could destroy the boat at any point, but it's enjoying like you know, toying with them for a while. Yeah. 
Yeah. Big smart fish. And then you got John Williams' <sighs> score. There's... And Spielberg thought it was a joke when he played it for him originally. He's like, what is this? He's like, oh, you'll see. And there are so many different, you know, like the Baroque sort of horns that are that are happening when the when the uh, ferry boats of people are coming in, Mm -hmm. all the tourists. There's that that, this incredible symphonic themes that that are in juxtaposition to just that. Um, Yeah, there's that. And then, I mean, the, the shark chase is, you know. Fast fish. I mean, that is like such a such an exhilarating sequence, yeah. right? But it's it's it, it's made mm-hmm. even more so by this music that almost has no business being in this kind of a movie. Yet it all makes sense. Every piece of the music makes it's, sense. It's right? the adventure. It's like the adventure park gets yes. brought back yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, and like the. I mean, obviously, the you know the the shark's theme is terrifying and like some kind like affects some kind of like like our lizard brain or whatever, or caveman brain or whatever. <laughs> but like, then there's, you you know, you have like these like lilting, like kind of like, yeah, like, like joyous almost moments. Do, 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 do. You know, and it, it reminds me a lot of like uh, Peter and the Wolf, you know, there's like mm, all these kind yeah. of like, you know, lilting fun things. And then the, you know, it's. Spielberg does that. He did it with Poltergeist too. And the music's a little too yeah. happy. And, and I, th- I think that's a perfect way of capturing it because one of the things that makes the movie so powerful is this sense of like, it is this perfect idyllic, you know, it's 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 July 4th on a beach town. Mm-hmm. It's people grilling hot dogs and kids playing in the water and what could go wrong? And then this like malevolent force of nature is yeah. literally eating people. Yeah. And so, yeah, just like think of, I, I hadn't even thought of that before, but the way the music perfectly captures both sides of that is just amazing. Well, it's the attack. Like, you they had to do that because they're not showing right. us the shark. Mm-hmm. Like once they weren't able to show us the shark, you have to build a ploy and fake out tension. Uh, it's like the scene when the two guys are fishing oh, off yeah. the dock. We don't see anything, and that scene is ter- terrifying because mm-hmm. of the music. Right. When the deck part that you know pulls back around and starts coming back in, and as the shark gets closer, they bring the music up and it starts to get faster, and then it just ends and nothing actually happens. But you are white knuckled, yeah. sweating like. <gasps> yeah. <laughs> the- all from two notes. The other uh, aspect of the movie where that happens, and I, I want he, you all may know more about the making of it, would love to hear it, but just from what my understanding, there's a long sequence tor- towards the end of the movie while they're hunting the shark. And I, I admit, I think this sequence might go on a bit too long, but still very powerful, where what they're trying to do is hit the shark with harpoons that are then attached to these yellow, yellow barrels that won't go below water. And... I Googled a couple times trying to figure out, like, what what's the actual, like, hunting aspect of that and couldn't find anything. And a lot of things were like, yeah, we don't quite know what the stru- shark hunting strategy was there. But apparently <laughs> there's no way the shark will pull three barrels underwater. But when I did more looking, what I found was that part of it was once they realized the shark wasn't going to do the things in the ocean they wanted it to do, they came up with this idea of if you knew that the yellow barrels are attached to the shark mm-hmm. – Having the yellow barrels go back and forth across the water now signifies the shark, like with the dock there. And I just just thought, what a brilliant piece of filmmaking of taking this complete failure to do the thing you wanted to do. And so instead giving us this like, yeah, yellow barrels, that's that's it. They all hold the shark up. Don't ask questions. Just be scared. (laughs) Right. And, they and it is, you know, it is actually, oh, I'm sorry, no, actually, it is go. actually in, it is, the barrel idea is in the, in the book. Uh, I think right. they're, they're wooden. It's not, you know, like this big yellow, there's no blinking light that, that's attached so they can mm-hmm. see it at night. But so that is sort of a general idea that, that they were probably going to use anyway. But then I, I'm sure at some point they went, oh, wait a minute. 
this is all we need. I mean, and I guess this is a perfect time to say that literally my favorite scene in any movie ever is the three barrels going under the water towards the orca mm-hmm. with nothing behind it. And I just recently learned, I believe how they accomplished that was they hooked, and I think that's how they sank the orca, there was a hooking mechanism underneath the orca itself that acted as sort of a counter balance to it. So the boat was attached to the, the, the barrels are attached to this rope, which loops under the orca and then is attached to another boat. When they drive the boat away from the orca, it pulls the barrels towards the wow. orca and oh. down. It is the most astonishing, practical cinematic craft, you know, special effect that that is literally happening in front of you. It is so terrifying and brilliant and it, like mm-hmm. you said i mean just that simple thing and spielberg accomplished what he wanted to which was to never see the land once they're in the ocean mm-hmm. and just that no i mean you look at that and you go there's no way that you don't believe that a, a 25 foot shark is swimming underneath that boat exactly that. Yep. right they yeah, they did that with the beginning yeah with the girl they had two oh, ropes yeah. on her and then they're like okay go and she was like you know i have to scream and i have to act so if something really goes wrong they're not going to know that I'm acting, and then I think Stephen did the final, like pulled her down under that last, mm-hmm. that last, like very dramatic, like whoop. Uh, yes. It's just practical, but making yeah. it up as they were going along is that's what's amazing. Yeah, and the, like one of the things that really struck, uh, stuck out to me was um, the the use of the I forget the exact term, but like the the box that they put the cameras in to keep them dry, um, and like that is what allowed them to film at like that level of like like, just above the water yeah and that's what spielberg talks about is like he wanted to shoot it like not you know five feet above the water not like under the water but like where when we're treading water like where our eye line is and that i think is what makes it like so like you know like it triggers that part of our brain it's just like (laughs) terror Terror, yeah. you know, the stampede of everybody when when right. the, yeah. the the boys oh. fake everybody out and like you That's know the elderly people getting trampled. The kid, the I would be the adult that'd be like, "Give me that goddamn rifle, kids!" <laughs> yeah, and yeah. throw <laughs> the kids off and kick myself back. You know, I, I could, lo- you know. <laughs> I love the two guys who just like bulldoze, <laughs> yes, yes. little yellow rafts full of kids. They're just like. <laughs> Flip them over, get them out of the way. Those those two guys. Did that guy show up to the beach by himself? Like, what is he doing there? He's just like, I just, I love to go. Like, there are people that go and tip cows. Like, I just love to go to the beach and mess up. Flip kids over. (laughs) And and there's that that famous outtake of the, you know, where they show the, uh, like, like the second unit director directing all the extras. Okay, we're about to roll on background. There's a shark that's been in the water killing people. Blood is everywhere. Okay, you're really scared and. Background action. I mean, it's like <laughs> corralling all of those people, yeah. right? To, I mean, whatever. Not even just the shark, but just all of these extras, all of these people that are oh, just yeah. kind of hanging in the water. Who knows if any of these people, some of these people probably didn't even know they were in a movie. Yeah. They're just yeah. going to the beach. We and, shark. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, especially because, again, we're so used to computer effects now. We're so used to thinking this is so easy. Like, I love you telling that story because it reminds you how difficult this is. Because to me, like, the thing that if I, like, close my eyes and think about this movie, the shot that comes to my mind is the way they show the little boy dying. Oh, man. Which is that it's a whole bunch of kids. That was funny. And the music builds. And then you just see this, like, burst of red Mm -hmm. in the water. So they had pumps under that little child. And they just were like, 
let them rip. And I remember seeing an interview with the kid. The kid was like, I was kind of drowning in it. Like I couldn't get away from it. And I was out there by myself and they couldn't do it. So in the end, two guys had to go under the water and hold his legs down and hold the raft while they shot it to get that like him pulling out because it was just like shooting him away and he drowned a little bit during it but i mean it's for the shot <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah there's so many times as i'm listening to this granted i'm not in the industry at all but i'm thinking it's amazing what they did I love the 70s i don't want them to ever do these things again yeah. like no one should be allowed to do this yeah. to actors and actresses see right. i no, think it's... you get a better film like look at the evil dead look at the <laughs> things that you have to do where the people are actually put through a little bit of stress Right. And it comes through mm-hmm. in the performances. Well, and famously, there's these quarrels between uh, uh, Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss. My favorite. And you can, you can feel it mm-hmm. in yeah. Dreyfuss's yeah. performance. When they are together, something is not right. And so it's the worst kind of method acting, perhaps. But they didn't have to, you didn't have to work at that at all because they yeah. clearly something. I believe maybe later in life things were, I don't know, Dreyfuss had a better, you know, I, th- I think I heard an interview where he met Shaw's daughter or something, and they had yeah. sort of a lovely chat, and everything was okay. Shaw was doing it to him on purpose. Like Dreyfus was a little bit of a diva because he came out of whatever movie he had. Stephen asked American him to graffiti. Yeah, American graffiti. Yeah, a movie after that did really bad, and then he ran back to because he Stephen asked him to be in this. He's like, no, I don't want to be in the water. This sounds like a nightmare. The movie he did yeah. bombed, and he thought he wasn't going to get hired anywhere again. So then he ran back to Stephen, like, please let me be in your movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, and so let's talk about those two characters because I feel like the tension between Shaw and Hopper, uh, you know, you've got on the one hand this like the the Harvard educated or these uh, big city like yeah. college educated oceanographer who knows everything from books and all the stuff about sharks versus like the actual guy who was in the water when the Indianapolis sank, had so many of his you know friends and shipmates eaten by sharks, and he's been hunting sharks for thirty years. I I just I they're two. To- it, you know, it's total archetypes. Like, mm-hmm. there's not you dig deep, you kind of start hitting a wall. But the tension it sets up between the two of like, here's the, t- you know, do you approach this problem with science or do you approach it with true grit? <laughs> like, and showing that both of them have their flaws. I just, it's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah. And it's right before they would film, like uh, Shaw would go over to Dreyfus and be like, "Mind your mannerisms," and then they would say action, and you could just see how. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think it made it really real. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm trying to think of what else they were doing. I don't know how he talks so much that I'd sort of forgotten when they're loading the boat. Oh, man. While everything else is going on, Shaw, it's like a three-minute monologue that, that <laughs> I, I can't imagine was scripted, right? That he just... No, it was yeah. all him. And, and he was yeah. pretty drunk most of the time. <laughs> yes. Very important thing. An English famous, actor in the 70s. So. Yeah. Famous alcoholic. Right. Yeah, uh, and you can you know it's interesting. You can see you can see there are scenes where he is clearly inebriated. There's that that glistening in the eye and yeah. sort of that slurring of the speech and the 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 sweat that comes. You know, I mean, they clearly. And, and I I can't imagine having to work with somebody like that. Boy, is it effective. Yeah. Boy, is it yeah. iconic and yeah. absolutely perfect. I mean, pitch perfect at every moment. Yeah. Uh, but I, th- there are things like that that were like any other actor would give a completely different performance, right? I mean, when 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 um. Ellen and, and Brody are coming down and she's saying goodbye. And he's it's a constant stream of stuff, which growing up in Maine, growing up around salty New Englanders, I didn't spend a ton of time down on the docks, but working with carpenters and knowing all these people, that's the way it was. That's that's who they are. They will drive you apeshit if you get one guy just like that, that, you know, that wants to needle you a little bit. I don't know how <laughs> he did it. And so another actor wouldn't 
bring that, right? I mean, they wouldn't mm-hmm. bring that sort of improvisatory, natural thing, and it you, it, it, it makes you believe the entire thing. <laughs> Yelling yeah. at his wife. <laughs> yeah. That far away, yeah. he knew that she had said something about him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's part of what makes his character so effective, because he's clearly, like, there's kind of three villains in this movie. You know, there's the shark itself, there's the mayor, and to some extent there's Quint, because Quint is obviously, he has this, like, you know, it, it, he's very much an Ahab figure. Yeah. Like, it's him against the shark, and he doesn't care that he 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 comes very close to getting everyone else on the boat killed and, and certainly himself killed with these incredibly reckless, stupid decisions he makes. Mm-hmm. It's so easy for that character to become a caricature, you know? Mm-hmm. But especially with his speech he gives, where, where I've referenced it a couple of times, but the story is that the USS Indianapolis, it was the ship that was carrying the nuclear bombs uh, to the, the airfield so that they could be, be launched. It was like the innards of the two... Yeah, and so it had it, it had like materials on it that made clear that nuclear bombs were, were part of it. And so it, it was totally secret. So when it was attacked by a Japanese submarine and sank, like no one knew. So it took many days before like the U.S. Navy could figure out that these a thousand men were in the water drowning, you know, uh, dying and and thus had to be rescued. And, and in that time, something like 700 of the men died and, and many of them died from dehydration or exposure but quite a lot with shark attacks. And when Shaw, uh, you know, Quint tells the story of that, like this is after he's destroyed the radio. This is after he's done, I think it is. Well, he's certainly done so much to make you see, like this is not a well-balanced guy. This is not a hero. This is a guy who's going to get our heroes killed. But yet you totally empathize with him. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I just, you get where he's coming from and why he's doing this. That was the scene where he was like, um, Stephen, I think I should be drunk. And he got hammered. And he could, they did the scene, but he couldn't do it. Like, it was not what he, the next day he's like, did I embarrass myself? They were like, ah. So then he came in and did it stone sober. And what we get in the, in the film is a cut between Vera, a right. cut between uh, those two shots just being put together, which is what makes right. it so important. And it's impactful for the people who survived mm-hmm. the Indianapolis because they didn't hear, no, they, nobody talked about that story. Yeah. So yeah. them getting to see that the, someone telling their story on screen and being represented, that meant a lot to a lot those yeah. 300 people who survived. I remember there was some interviews with them where some of them said, like, that at first they didn't, they, too many of the friends got eaten by sharks. They didn't want to see this movie. Yeah. But then when people told them your story gets told, they went wow. to see it. And it was really powerful. Um, that, that speech is also, uh, I mean, it's one of the greatest monologues in mm-hmm. film history. Um uh, and Shaw is is so incredible, uh, but the, the story of it is, is really interesting too. Because like the in the um, like the first draft of the script, uh, it you know it, it wasn't working, and then because they did so many rewrites on the script, so many people did so many rewrites on this script, uh, like Carl Gottlieb like rewriting every every night because production mm-hmm. went went over so long. But um, uh, so they I think like two two drafts into this speech. Um, like John Milius, uh, was doing, did a rewrite and he said it was like, it was really long and like, um, and then finally, uh, Robert Shaw, you know, said, leave it with me. And like, he went and like rewrote it for himself. Shaw, of course, also being a, a playwright and a very accomplished writer. Uh, and I think, you know, in the end with that speech that we get like from, you know, however many people worked on it, but like, man, oh man, does Shaw like live it just inhabit it and yeah. like it's so powerful like, I'm and, it's, and it's and, it, and, and like a perfect testament to why this movie works on so many levels is that it's the 
absolutely in terms of like a dramatic arc of the film and the mm. pace i think the pacing of this film so is so exceptional and yeah. it's like right at the moment when we could use that we don't linger on it for too long but it it relaxes us just enough we get spooked out by this story it lulls us mm-hmm. and then we get the song coming out of it show me the way to go home and then and then everything goes to hell it's just Every moment in this movie is so perfectly yeah. timed. You know, it's it just yeah. one thing leads to it. That's why I love this movie so much because there's never there's never a dull moment. There's never a false moment. You know, um, and I want to give it like you were saying, Mark. You're talking about Carl Gottlieb. Let's give a shout out to him who was hired as an actor, but he's a writer himself. And watching this movie again, I was shocked at how much improvised dialogue there is. Clearly, oh, yeah. among mm-hmm. maybe amateur actors that they've hired or whoever is in there. And he he says that was one of the things he was brought on to do was sort of punch up. Improvised moments. Say, oh, you could be. You guys could be talking about this. Maybe you could be, and you can really pick it out. It doesn't stick out yeah. like a sore thumb, but you notice all these great, fun little random interactions with people where the it's it's very alive. And these people, yeah. and you could tell that the actors are really taking ownership of. Oh, I get to be this guy. Those guys when they catch the the tiger shark and the guys yelling at Gwen, why don't you stick your head in there? <laughs> yeah. You, you figure, figure out how big his mouth is. Little guy, little guy, get out of the way. We're trying to take a picture. Yes, and yes, there yes. are so many like seemingly throwaway lines. I think um, from from extras that like that stick with us like Ashley like you said you know a day is like three weeks and like I think Steve we always used to say that and like um, I don't find that funny I don't find that funny at all like I don't think that's funny I don't think that's funny at all yeah like and I think that's like some of the stuff that Gottlieb uh, uh, brought to it and and Spielberg wanted to like I remember seeing an interview him talking about like wanting those little like you know interjections from all the people and uh, I think a, a lot of it is because Gottlieb is a big improv guy. Like he, um, mm-hmm. you know, way, way back, like was working with Del Close, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. or at least in the same company as Del Close. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like those, it just, it makes it feel so like lived in and real. Like these, you know, these extraordinary yeah. circumstances, mm-hmm. this like, you know, bonkers stuff is happening. But the, the people and the town feels so real, I think is, is a big, a big part of what makes it so I, incredible you're paying attention to the beginning a little bit more like the mid like when um brody's walking through the town and just i didn't ever really pick up like how annoyed he was by everybody in the town yeah how much he mm-hmm. didn't like the small city like the kids running around rapid and what really stuck out to me is this one scene and we linger on this guy for a minute he walks out of the sheriff's office with just groceries <laughs> and it, you linger on him and then he just you think he's gonna do or say something and he doesn't he just walks away and i'm like what was that? <laughs> and it's little, when you're really looking, you get to see a bunch of little things like the scene with um, Brody and his son. Oh, man. That was all, uh, they were just doing that. And then uh, Roy was like, Steven, get the camera, watch this, watch this. And they did it again. Yeah. And like little things like that, the collaboration between everybody really made it work. Mm-hmm. I was surprised watching this movie now as a, as a father. I've got a six year old son. This movie hits a little different. I, I mean, you know, I bet. It, it, especially sure. uh, certainly that moment. Certainly, you know, trying to provide for your family and worrying that you're making the right decisions. But the Kinder thing, Alex Kinder is like, oh my god, that that idea. Any parent that that just you know, like you want to do the best for your kid, you want to have fun, but then you know. And so these things are, I mean, her, I think she shot that scene, seven, that 17 takes of the slapping scene. Yeah, 17. She, like, just beat the hell out of Roy Scheider every single time. But there really <laughs> is this, this, there's so many conflicting human emotions going on here. It's not just like a horror movie. It's just right. real people that are being forced to make decisions, and nobody knows what the right decision is to make. Which is why I think <laughs> yeah. when Quint comes around, 
they have to deal with this guy, right? Because he's their yeah. last option. They've waited too long. They burned up all their other options. So now they have to deal with this. And that's what that's what happens in our, our lives and yeah. in our world a lot of, a lot of the One times, of my right? favorite things Quint does is in the town hall, he has drawn on the chalkboard <laughs> yeah. a giant shark with a little boy in its mouth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just to remind them. Yeah. And, and I, I want to say two things. Because first of all, just going back to the mayor in terms of like all of the like the humanity of all these different characters and, and all the different emotions. Again, the mayor could so easily become a caricature, like, and, and somewhat is, and cle- again, clearly is. Like, I think there's an element of like, who's the real monster, the shark, or the or the mayor, the business people. But the scene after the next attack, when the mayor realizes, like, it's his, yeah. And, and again, oh. that act, I forget who the actor is. It's a small part. Or Hamilton. But you, yeah. Hamilton. Yeah, thank you. You see how devastated he is by this, and he's trying not to. He's saying like, you know, I I didn't know. I was trying to protect the businesses yeah. and. That could be a kind of slimy, like, oh, it's not my fault, don't blame me. But you see that he's trying to, like, he's basically dealing with the fact that he got somebody killed. Yeah. And he's mm-hmm. trying to fight off that, that mm-hmm. he's trying to defend himself to himself, not to others. And it was just, it's heart-wrenching. Because mm-hmm. it's, it, it, to me, the fact that he's so relatable in that moment it, is helpful. Because then it's not like, oh, he's an evil businessman. It's like, oh, that could be anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, anybody who had that he's feeling like- of, like, I'm, gonna, I'm responsible for keeping this town alive. I'm going to tell them it was for their best interests. And he's yeah. like, yes, you are. And you're going to sign this paper. Yeah. 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 And um, to go back to that, that uh, the, 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 uh, the Kintner scene, um, it is so exquisitely crafted. No, do you uh, mean the, the face slapping? Scene? Oh, no, I'm sorry. The, the, the scene of the, the uh, uh, Alex getting eaten. Um, oh yeah, the, those oh, talk about talk about how they made it, Mark. Just oh my god, it. yeah, it's so good. Those <laughs> just like uh, you know because um, Scheider is there like watching it happen, and he's immediately like he he's looking for you know you see like the old guy come up with his swim cap on, you see like the lady screaming before she gets put up into like a you know a chicken fight thing, um, and and just all like the cuts of you know the people walking in front of him, and then it cuts to the water, and then the person walks in front, and it cuts back. But then when we finally see the uh, the attack that create like the, the shark rolling over initially and then we have that dolly zoom like the trombone I, zoom. Oh, my God. It, it's that's sh- the, the, like the foreground, the background. Like it's, uh, it, it, I can't speak. It, it's so <laughs> good. It's so incredible. And that's then Miss Verna, yeah. Miss Verna, she got the Academy Award for it. She deserved it. She, they should have given her two. <laughs> like. It, but but Steve, like to talk about and like that's something you know I don't have a kid yet I have a cat um, but that scene when like everyone's running out of the water after the attack and like Mrs. Kittner is holding, she's like the last one kind of getting there and like everyone is like pulling their people out and she's just standing there and it is so much more impactful as like an adult yeah. and like as like mm-hmm. you know. When you're a kid, I guess you empathize with the kid or whatever, or the shark. I just if you're appreciate a they didn't show the dog get eaten. I oh, I know that thing. he yeah. was taken, but they mm-hmm. didn't show it, and they showed the kid, and I was like, yeah. "Do that more." Yeah, yeah. we'll imply <laughs> that Pippin got it. Yeah, Pippin. Show- ends with that. Pippin. Inc- it ends with that incredible shot of just the the yellow raft yeah. that's now completely deflated and bloody and torn open and it's so powerful. Yeah, you're right. Like we don't need to see the the, the dead body of a kid. Right. Uh, that tells it all. And and yeah, the actress is so good there. People still ask her to slap them. They come up to her yeah. and they're like, yeah. "Can you do it?" 
<laughs> There's a really funny story about uh, Mr. Uh, Miss Kittner and uh, and Alex, where uh, years later, um, the actress who played uh, Mrs. Kittner went to a restaurant and saw that they had an Alex Kittner sandwich on the on the menu, <laughs> and she was like, "This is so funny." You know, I played Mrs. Kittner in the movie and the waiter's like, oh, hold on a second. And he goes in the back and the kid, the guy who played Alex Kittner, it was his restaurant. And so Stop, like he came, that's, that's like, so awesome. they were like reunited in that way. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. She, See, she slapped him across the face and said, what are you together? doing making money off of the movie? How dare yeah. you? <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I love that. Yeah. Well, and just to me, you talked about how this, that scene starts with mm. the sheriff, uh, the, the chief right. on the beach and just every little thing is scaring him. And it, it again, that's so relatable, you know, and, and this is obviously a much minor thing comparisonly, but like. For the last three months or so, I, I did just have COVID uh, two weeks ago. Me too. But for the last three months, when like Omicron was getting worse and worse, a lot of my friends were getting it. I would like wake up with like a cough and be like, "Is this COVID?" Yeah. You know, yeah. Or, or like, oh yeah, psychosomatic, uh, my, man. Yeah, my <laughs> hip would be hurt, and I had to keep reminding myself, "No, I'm old. Yeah. I'm just like my body hurts." You know, my <laughs> my partner one day woke up and, and we hadn't seen anyone in ten days, and she she was like having a little trouble breathing, and, and I was she was like, "Is this COVID?" And I had to remind her, look, "Look, you have asthma." You have bad asthma. That's what's, and, and just the scene is much is much more than that, obviously. But just that feeling of you're so afraid right. that anything could be it. You know, any shark, any any shouting, yeah. any any sudden movement, and that like that like helplessness and like impotence of where like because everyone runs into the water and is pulling people out, but then Sheriff Brody, <laughs> Chief Brody, is like runs <laughs> to the edge of the water. And then just kind of like, 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 yeah. a, like a frightened animal, like won't go into the water and it's just kind of like running back and forth. And, and it, it I mean, it, like well, that's all what I love about his character yeah. is he's afraid of the water. Like, what are you doing here? And that's when Dreyfus's uh, character's like, well, what does he say? Like you move to an island and he's yeah. like, it's only an island if you look at it from the water. Right. Yeah. Like, Great that line. doesn't Great make line. any sense. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, look, he was at, like, I mean, I grew up on Manhattan in New York City and which I think was his character supposed to be from. Right. You never have any idea it's an island. Like, you, you just think of it's the center of the world. Yeah. So I can kind of yeah. get that perspective from him. But yeah, it's 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 one more way characters in this movie are deluding themselves. That yeah. scene where the shark attack happens in the pond, oh that's God. one of my favorite shots is when um, the wife comes up and she's like, you know, Michael's in the pond. Yeah. And he turns and it was just fake and he's walking, but then it just starts to go faster and the music's right. picking up and he's running through the people. And I just love yeah. that shot. Yeah. yeah. That, and then the shot that always has stuck in my mind. The first view. <laughs> oh, well, the, 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 yes. The shark, like, slowly, like, but inexorably moving towards uh, the guy who just got his boat flipped over. But then, like, the, the shot that, like, is always in my mind. When I close my eyes, I think about this shot and why the hell this movie is rated PG, PG <laughs> is the shot of the guy's leg just, like, floating down. And like hitting, the, and like still, like you look at that today, and you're like, is that a real guy's leg? Is that a guy's it looks leg? Very it looks beautiful. so real, but yeah, oh, unbelievable. Yeah. But like, it's well, so terrifying. And the whole thing with the pond to me is so interesting because we never like get it explained, but it's clearly it's like sort of an inlet yeah. at the beach that you know because at one point a hooper uh, the the uh, the chief's son wants to go play in the water, and it's like no, no go in the pond, go in the pond instead. And they say the pond, and so you think this is like a completely separate body right. of water. Yeah. 
And and then when you realize, like, no, it's just this thing that, like, but they have this, like, ma- magical belief that, no, it's safe. The shark would never go yeah, in there. Yeah, it's an estuary. And again, to me, it's that same thought of the, the hubris and of the, like, we can defeat nature that is just it's so prevalent today. It's so prevalent <laughs> all the time of, like, because you look at it, you're like, why in the world do you think that part of the water would be any safer than any other? Yeah. That's where the grandmas go. Yeah. It's for the old ladies. It's for the old ladies. I do it for the old men. <laughs> You also um, gotta love the. You also gotta love the uh, the artist that's like half a mile across the Janice across Joplin? the. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> shark, shark, shark. And like like three hundred people on the beach are like, what? What was that? What did you say? Hold it's on, like guys. What, just what? <laughs> the woman way down there is talking to us, and we can hear every word she's saying. Shark. How dare you? Right How dare you nitpick this film? I know. There's I'm sorry. Sh- I'm sorry. Listen, it, shark. These things that, 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 <laughs> such a good, such it, a good it all makes sense. Yeah. It's so true. And that guy, the guy who gets eaten, it's like, I see it as like a, a PS, like, leave people alone. Yeah. Those kids weren't asking for your help. Right. Yeah. They didn't need your help. And you're like, what's going on? Do you need, are you guys all right? Like, just mind your business and maybe yeah. you won't get eaten by the shark. Yeah. Thanks, Boomer. Were... Keep, your head, on your, <laughs> keep your head on a swivel when there's a, when there's a shark in the water. <laughs> <laughs> the shark is just looking out for those kids. Yeah, exactly. Except for Alex, but you know. Yeah. Uh, just going back to Quint again for a moment uh, we'll start to wrap up I think but let's kind of talk a little bit more about the characters themselves Quint to me and I think this, the movie captured this well <clears throat> he feels like he's something straight out of a Hemingway novel mm-hmm. you know the, yeah. he very much is that like it's his personal battle against the against the creature we know that like there's a reward but you don't think he wants it he doesn't smash the radio because he's worried about just losing the reward it's he needs to be this person who beats it and to me, it's such. I I love the like the the contrast between him and Hooper is such this great idea of like, Quint is kind of a man out of his time in some way. You know, like he he belongs to this older era, the World War Two sailor types, and and just the way. I, I don't know. I I, I just want to hear you. You all more thoughts about it. I just, I just love so much the the way his character is portrayed as being like this this last vestige of wanting to hold on to this idea of like you against the you against the animal when when Hooper is so different. And his is he's the character who's seen like the things that would just chill your blood, yeah, you know, right. where maybe, you know, the other one's book, you know, book smart. And then uh, the sh- chief doesn't know anything about doing stuff in the water. So you have to have someone to guide us through. Right. Yeah. And like there's a moment where Hooper, they, they come to a boat that's been attacked and Hooper just is perfectly happy to jump into the water to go look at it for a at minute. night. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Ben Gardner's so boat. Uh, and while we're talking about Quinn, in, 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 interestingly, the actor who played uh, Ben Gardner, uh, I can't remember his name, uh, he's just like a, a local character. Um, and he is the person who Shaw based his performance on. Uh, oh, that's fun. Yeah. You know, like in, in the in the beginning, uh, or when, when when Hooper's introduced, he's the you know he pulls him out. He says, "Oh, hello." He goes, oh, "Hello, yourself, young fella." And then when they're going out, and he says, "Yeah, you wait till we get him out here," and they start busting up the bottoms of their boats on the. They'll wish their mother's mother never met their father's boy, <laughs> and, and like just that kind of like rambling, like you know, nonstop like crap talking is is mm-hmm. Shaw does it amazingly. But they do such an amazing job with, with with Quint's character by giving us these like little things that just like paint this this incredible character. Like when they're comparing the scars, and you know, it's, it's, I I got this. You know, somebody headbutted me at St. Patrick's Day in Boston, and this is from when I like I I 
broke my arm in an arm wrestling contest in San Francisco. And it's like, I'm celebrating my third wife's demise. demise like, yeah. it's, <laughs> you just like get this idea that this guy's been all over the world. You know, he's done all this stuff. And, um, and, and it, but it, it's in these like little tiny moments that, that make this character so perfect. Um, well, I think he represents what what is so frustrating for him, right, is that he's somebody who has had all this experience, so he knows the way that the world works, and he certainly knows the way that sharks work. Right. And so then there's this shark that doesn't play by the rules. Mm-hmm. And so, right. I mean, the breathtaking, I mean, as an actor, it's just so breathtaking to watch when he is when he's leaning on that throttle, and he's, yeah. when you know that he's given up, when you know that we're screwed. It's that it's that idea that, oh, t- take him in the she'll drown him, we'll take him in the shallow, shallow water, we'll drown him. You yeah. know that he's that things aren't the way that they should be, and that's what upsets right. him, right? There, there's all these, and that's what's so terrifying about any situation like this. As we, yeah. as we were talking about before, sharks usually behave a certain way, but when a shark is smarter than yeah. than uh, yeah. Quint, that's what really sets him off, right? When he, when you he talked earlier about how terrifying it is when those barrels go below the boat, and you just say that phrase. It's like, why is that scary? It's because he has this person who's supposed to be the authority on sharks has said. No shark can take three barrels right. under the water, you know, and like you don't even know what those words mean, really. But like, but yeah. you see it happen, and yeah, I, I love what you're saying. It's, it's it's him realizing that his knowledge isn't is inadequate. He doesn't understand what's happening either. Yeah, and I think like, oh, oh sorry, uh, that the the one an, an aspect from the the Indianapolis speech where he says, you know, and, and the, I was most terrified when I was waiting to be rescued. That's why I'll never put a life preserver on again. And I think that is like that is writ large across the whole like end of the hunt. You know, we're not calling for help. I'm not putting a life preserver on like the shark or I is going to die. And like that's going to be the whole thing. And I, I think that is like the, the center of Quint's character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It does also make me find it interesting that in the original draft, Hooper is supposed to die as well. Because when I think about Shaw's character, like, this isn't intentional. It shouldn't have been this way. But Shaw's hubris doesn't actually cause anyone else's death except his own. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like my evaluation of the character does change dramatically if he also gets Dr. Hooper killed. Yeah. Um, and, like, he didn't want him to get in that cage. Like, yeah. he says something a little nice before he gets in for nice for, you know, right for his <laughs> character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's funny. That the reason that it, there's no narrative reason that Hooper doesn't die, it is only because the the, the, the stunt person came out of the cage, and then the cage got destroyed by that shark, and the shot yeah. was so good they were like, we have to use this, but Dreyfus isn't in the isn't in the cage, so we gotta like, <laughs> no, he lives now. He lives. Yeah. He hid under a rock. Yeah, he hid under a yeah. rock. Because hiding from a creature that hunts by smell is definitely going to work well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the little things I like that um, Shaw does is every time they really piss the shark off, the shark splashes them. You have to watch Shaw's face because he's the only one who ever always, he takes it and he's always like, Urgh. like he yeah. looks really mad about it every yeah. time. And I love this, that little thing. Like the shark's just continuously like, ah, you jerks. Yeah. Splash. 
Yeah. Well, that's why I think of him as an Ahab figure in a lot oh, of ways. Absolutely. You know, it's so absolutely. much the Moby yeah. Dick story. Yeah. In the book, he literally dies like Ahab. He, the, 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 the barrel comes in, it wraps around his leg, and he gets drawn, sucked down into the water, and he can't get loose. I mean, just like Ahab mm-hmm. gets, you know, tied to, tied to the whale. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. first, the before Stephen, I think there was somebody else who was supposed to direct it, and um, they kept saying the whale the whale, the whale. And so Peter, the writer, was like, you are out. This is not Moby Dick. I don't want my movie to be like this. You said, if you say it one more time, he's like, but the whale. And he's like, you're out. You're fired. Get out. Get out. (laughs) It's a shark. It's a shark. So we would have had a very different movie if that guy had remembered to say shark. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. Well, as we're wrapping up, let's kind of start talking about some of the legacy of this movie. And actually, you've talked about um, the, the editor, uh, who just did such an amazing job? Like, what what is it about her editing that like keeps getting um, you sort of studied in film schools and stuff like it that? It was the fact that so much, pretty much went wrong, and they had to make up shots as they were going. And to be able to take this movie and take what was supposed to be a monster action adventure and turn it into this psychological thriller is where she gets a lot of the credit because she had to all those scenes that we're talking about the tension the the indianapolis scene taking the shots where he was shit-faced wasted and stone sober and sewing them together so perfectly to create that scene that's one of the best scenes in history is because of her like it's not mm-hmm. just because of her sure the shots and the actors and everything but making us have the emotions that we do the the little things the shots the shark that what we don't see is what makes this movie work and it's what nobody was expecting and I don't know if it's her or if it's Spielberg, but one of the, when I come back to this movie, one of the scenes that I love even more is when when Brody is flipping through the book, the oh books about the sharks. There's there's something so beautiful in the camera movement, the pages flipping, how we freeze on certain images just for a second, mm-hmm. getting this kind of kaleidoscopic effect. Um, I think that. You know, there's a great in that uh, Alexander Payne movie, Election. He has this very mm. what he said was this very expensive scene sequence of like Tracy Flick's yearbook stuff, which is all sort of like CGI yearbook going blah blah blah, mm-hmm. and that clearly is all practical. But deciding how you know the the choreography of yeah. that moment and building up that intensity where we're inside Brody's head and you can mm-hmm. see that he's getting filled with this fear, just the movement of that. It's like a ballet. It's so amazing. And I love that scene. What like he's like, <sighs> get out of the water. He looks out the kids are in the boat and she's like it's his birthday tomorrow don't yell yeah. at him blah 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 get out of the water but, uh, right now <laughs> she looks at the Michael, you listen to your father <laughs> he's like i also love right that now. i also love the editing story because another thing that's come to light uh in more recent years is that um the original cut of star wars had all sorts of problems and that the editors are credited with a huge part of saving it and including um george lucas's wife marcia lucas who uh, is credited for editing a lot of the movie, but especially the trench run scene, mm. which we oh, just cool. think of as like one of the best sort of like, you know, fighter pilot type, you know, attack scenes in a movie. And it was just completely, apparently it was completely terrible in the original cut. Wow. And so I love the idea of if, if Spielberg and Lucas are this boys club, then both being saved by these women. Right. Editors, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Like, okay, boys, you go have a drink and stick your head in shark's <laughs> mouths. We're going to actually save yeah, your movies we're gonna for do, you We're going to do the real work. Uh, it's, it's fun. We, we talked a lot about like the kind of like, um, uh, like levity and horror balance or levity and drama and, right. and, and balance in this movie. And one thing uh, that I think is interesting um, about, I can't remember who said it, but talking about uh, Fields' editing was that like she would take a scene that Spielberg played for laughs 
and make it serious mm-hmm. or take a serious scene and like cut it for laughs. And I think that is, again, one of the myriad things that make this movie so incredible is like, you know, these like nothing is like what you expected, but everything is real. Yeah. If so much yeah, didn't so go wrong, we wouldn't have this would not have been this movie. They called exactly. it flaws the whole yeah. time. Like everybody working oh, on yeah. it called it flaws. It wasn't even just that. Like imagine filming in the ocean and then you have like mm-hmm. three sailboats go in the back. And you're yeah. like, mm-hmm. gotta cut, cut, cut. Yeah. To wait for the sailboats to go by. Yeah. I-, I can't imagine having 30 more seconds of footage of that shark without it crossing into the line of like, okay, I, I see that it's, you know an effect mm-hmm. like yeah. it losing its power if you see more that's of it. why the yeah. second one failed they went against their own rule immediately in the second one and you see the shark pretty quickly and then throughout most of it, it they don't have that slow build like you do in the first one yeah and mm-hmm. they give this they give the shark a burn scar because we need to make we need to make the shark scary it's grizzled so let's give it a burn scar <laughs> exactly all right. Well, I want to start wrapping up. So, is there any other last things either any of you want to bring up, uh, just like a, a question or a thought that we haven't gotten to talk about for this movie? You know, very quickly. I don't want us to go down a big rabbit hole, but the title is kind of amazing, isn't it? It's so cool. Yeah, just it's 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 like weird, does. right? And I think it only just hit me that it's like it could it could be called anything. The book could have been called The Shark. It could have been mm-hmm. called The Fish. It could have been whatever you want. But it's called Jaws, and yeah. somehow that's. That it makes all the sense in the world. It it like doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it makes a ton of sense. We never really spend a lot of time. You know, it's not like it's not like uh, Hooper's got to think the jaws on this creature are unbelievable. Yeah, it's I don't. It just it just works. It just if, works. Oh, uh, it's funny as you say that. I'm thinking like you could so easily have the movie be like the townspeople start calling it Jaws or the newspaper something cheesy like that. We gotta go get Jaws. Like yeah, um, but we all call him Jaws. If you say Jaws, everybody in pretty much the world knows exactly who you're talking about. Exactly, exactly. It, there's a one of the, like the previews from before the movie came out, like one of those like really great like old previews. It's just like a, a like a continuous like underwater shot shot. And uh, someone doing the voiceover, I can't remember it word for word, but towards the end, it's like, God created the perfect killing machine and (laughs) gave it Jaws. (laughs) And like, it's like, oh my God, it's so fucking scary. Um, I love it. And that is like one of the, like, the sequels, you know, the second one's pretty good. The third one's terrible. The fourth one is maybe the worst movie ever made. Ever made. But like one thing, (laughs) the like, the legacy of the sequels gave us is, I would say, three of the best taglines of all time it's Jaws so 2 mm. just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water how many times have we heard that it's like a part of the zeitgeist yep. now it's part of the pop culture language Jaws 3 the third dimension is terror it's dumb <laughs> but it's it's funny like the movie yeah and then Jaws 4 colon the revenge this time it's personal it's like his <laughs> shark's like you yeah. it's a movie my about uncle. a sh- <laughs> yeah, you killed my uncle. I'm gonna I'm gonna eat your son. I'm gonna follow you to the Bahamas, and I'm gonna jump out of the water and get speared by a boat and explode. And, and the Michael Disney Caine World. won't be able to go get his Oscar. Yes, the Disney World yeah. aspect. Like they could try to pretend like that wasn't supposed to be Sea World, but that was totally oh, yeah. supposed to be Sea World. Absolutely. And trying to really tra- train the Great Whites. It's just like you almost couldn't make this movie. Why did you think you were gonna be able to to cop you know yeah. copy it again? Dennis Quaid is famous, uh, has said uh, he was on so much cocaine uh, while they made Jaws 3 that in an interview, he, they, said, they were like, uh, so you were in Jaws 3. And he goes, I was in Jaws what now? 
<laughs> I love it. Well, and in terms of the last little legacies of the movie, what I was going to, because I had no idea this was true, because I hadn't remembered it, you know, um, I think it's House. There's a TV show that is made by the Bad Hat Harry production mm-hmm. company. And so every episode ends with, like, you know, the little, like, graphic of the production company, and it's someone saying, that's Bad Hat Harry. Yeah. That's I had no idea that line comes from this movie. Yeah. That's, that's... So, like, I almost fell off the couch when I heard when when Roy said that yeah. to uh, when you know the the chief says that to one of the the old men in the in the town. I was like, oh oh, that's where that comes from. We okay, know you, cool. chief. You don't ever go in the water. <laughs> it's yeah. the Simpsons. It's everything. There's quotes. You know, like I'm the sheriff. I can mm-hmm. do whatever I want, or however yeah. that goes out. Like yeah, I can every, do whatever I want. I'm the chief of police. Yeah, everything yeah. in pop culture has either tried to copy or has referenced Jaws. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Such a lasting influence. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that's about a pretty good place to wrap up. Um, and this, actually, do you have any last thing you wanted to bring up? No. Nope. You guys? Okay. Anything else? I mean, um... I could talk for about nine more hours um, <laughs> if you want. But if not, no, this is a great place. Yeah, to there's, right. there's not a whole lot that I can say that can't be said in the next five years. Over, you know, we'll, well, we'll, we'll same definitely time, having you all. Same time all tomorrow, back, everybody. So. Yeah. We'll, we'll get right back into this. The ethical issues of Jaws 4 coming soon. Oh, um, God. This time, all right, well, well thank you both so much. And clearly, both Steve and Mark, I know you're doing a lot of great things. Ashley as well. But but starting with you two, um, if people want to hear more of your creations, uh, your podcasting, other things like that, where can they find you? Uh, Steve, starting with you. Uh, sure, if you're, if you're interested. Uh, my website is stevefrenchvo.com. I'm on social media at stevefrenchvo. Um, I host the official Unsolved Mysteries podcast, which uh, we just finished our first season, and the second season is forthcoming in the spring. I don't know when this will air, but uh, in tw- spring of 2022. So you can check that out. Um, it's exciting. And, it, I love murder. Tr- it's like... Is like a true crime podcast, or is it you a know, so the, the the old show Unsolved Mysteries that was famously hosted mm-hmm. by Robert Stack. They have we have a podcast now, and we did uh, a forty episode season uh, last year, and um, uh, we're about to start season two, recording season two. So uh, yeah, so true crime, paranormal, missing persons. Um, did you do the new episodes that are not, been... the, not the Netflix episodes? Okay. This is a, a standalone podcast, which is sort nice. of partnered. Mm-hmm. So it's new stories, you know. Cool, that's podcast. so cool. Oh, I'm totally yeah. down. Yeah, so, so it's, it's so really, good. really cool. And I mean, you know, talk about things you grew up with. I grew up with that show, and uh, you know, Terry Dunmuir, the amazing <laughs> producer and co-creator. I I work with her every wow. recording session. It's like so bizarre. Talk you know? about a show that just the opening was would scare me. Same thing, right? Yeah. It's very, very similar in that in that regard. I mean, so many people that are connected to that show, you know, and just Robert Stack's voice, all of those things. It's it really is just like this movie. I mean, you you start hearing that people really do feel the same way about it. So I'm quite honored to be a small part of that and continuing that tradition. Shut up! You're a huge part. In, in my tiny shark cage of a recording studio, <laughs> hanging off the side of a boat in Australia. Chumming. So, so I just have to ask, are, are you hoping that at some point there'll be some unsolved mystery about, like, a diver that went missing and it's possibly a shark attack, but we don't know, and maybe you can, like, dive into some of the Jaws law for it? It's a boating if accident. If you're asking me, do I hope that some terrible tragedy befalls a human so that I of get to talk not. about no, it? We just I, hope I, that I one already happened. No. Right. right. If there's, if it, I just hope like maybe there's a great white shark that's gone missing and his family is looking for him and they want us to find him, then that will be okay. Let's let's say that. If you have any go. information right. about the location of this shark, if the true story right. of right. Jaws. Now, now that that part of the promo has jumped the shark, no yeah, that's exactly. Uh, Mark, 
Uh, yeah. Um, as as you said at the top of the show, I uh, I host uh, the Cast Eye Podcast. Um, I'm the DM on the Cast Eye Podcast. Uh, you can find uh, me a lot of times on Twitter at Cast Eye Podcast, or if you just want my regular stuff at Mark Dimitri. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's pretty much it for me. It's not as cool as, you know, unsolved unsolved mysteries. mysteries. But whatever. Uh, excuse me, podcasts about Dungeons and Dragons are the definition of cool. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Yeah, we're, we're looking to do a crossover event at some point. It's so going to happen. That should be a lot of fun. Yeah, awesome. I want awesome. I want these this all these people on the screen <laughs> on the show. Hey, yeah. I, I love it. I I just had a lot of fun over. The, my sister grew up much younger than I am. Hated all the geeky stuff. Um, <clears throat> her boyfriend at the time, then husband, watched the episode of Community where they played Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. And like the hipster he is, he decided that he and his friends were going to play Dungeons and Dragons ironically because of it. He now goes to his local game store every Tuesday to play in the Adventures League so Dungeons and Dragons. It's real easy to get pulled in. Um, and so I ran a camp. I ran a one shot for them when they were here over Christmas. That was all about rescuing Santa Claus. Uh, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> so awesome. Um, we, we had a, a really, really creepy elves. Uh, you would have loved it, Ashley. I would love it. Uh, so great. Definitely check out that podcast. And Ashley, uh, I think right now it's pretty hard to find a day of the week that you are not recording a I'm podcast so or something. So what are you up to these days? We are doing Boba Fett um, on the Star Wars Universe podcast. You can catch me every Monday nights uh, live on Twitch doing the MCU cast. And this Thursday we are starting up MCU trivia again. And that will be at Twitch at 8 o'clock. And that's probably going to be like once a month. So come join, play, win prizes. We got big ones. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Definitely check all that out. Uh, check out, as Ashley mentioned, the Star Wars Universe podcast. It's my other podcast, which we're doing episode by episode coverage of Book of Boba Fett. We've also now started back up our episode by episode, uh, our episode, by episode coverage. We have now started back up <laughs> our episode by episode coverage of Star Wars Rebels. Had a lot of fun with those. Those episodes will be going up. Um, myself and Matt Carroll oh. are doing episode by episode coverage of the Orville, uh, which is my favorite current Star Wars TV show. Um, yeah. And also Ashley and I both guested on PandaVision for Peacemaker. There's just so much great content. content. You can find all, all the wider stuff we're talking about by going to the Stranded Panda podcast network, just strandedpanda.com. And all of my podcasts specifically, you can go to by looking for theethicalpanda.com. There you'll find our contact information, Twitter, Facebook, email, however you want to reach us, Carrier Pigeon. We'd love to know your thoughts. Um, did you grow up watching this movie? Have you never seen this movie? I'm kind of interested in our, what we had to say about it. Did you, Are you one of those people who didn't want to go in the water? Do you think the movie was just kind of silly? Or do you like Barracuda or Piranha more? What's your favorite, you know, aqua <laughs> uh, disaster movie? Let us know. Contact us. We'd love to hear that audience feedback. Um, Steve, Mark, Ashley, thank you all so much for being a part of this. This was such a fun time. And to our audience, thank you for tuning in. Have a great day. Piranhas fucked me up as a kid, too. <laughs> that movie was terrifying. The, the noise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think piranhas are like um, like quicksand in that, like, growing up, I was led to believe that they'd be much and more in of every a problem creek. in my day-to-day life <laughs> than they ended up being. <laughs>